I want to know if uh, you keep track of what other people owe you. I don't mean money or garden tools. I mean when you get offended, when you get slighted, when you feel used, uh, do you keep score? Uh, let me give you a little minor example from, uh, well, this is from years ago in my personal life, all right? So uh, Amy reminded me of our daughter's fourth grade band concert that was coming up that week. And I told her I had a meeting, which I did, uh, and it was a relief to me. <laughs> because uh, those band concerts can be pretty rough to sit through. I mean, kids are good enough where you can recognize the tune and bad enough that you never, ever want to hear it again. <laughs> but instead of understanding that I'm such a busy guy with important stuff to do, Amy said, you never go because you always have a meeting. And the fight was on. <laughs> As I disputed the accuracy of her allegation. Uh, and then she named three specific incidents when I had not attended a school event because I had a meeting. It's like, how does she remember all of that? <laughs> so I said, in a brilliant move, three times is not always. <laughs> and at that very moment, I remembered the one time I went alone and I brought that up. We often keep a mental account of all those things we feel we are owed, big and small. What he said hurt me, and I make a note. She didn't even invite me to the party, so I put a check mark next to her name. He lied to me. She badmouthed me. They disrespected me, and I record that debt. And many of those marks can be for petty incidental issues. But there are also marks representing enormous wrongs and great injustices and terrible betrayals. And for some people, the balance due is enormous. And so relationships crumble, often because not, a, not a one major mistake, but because of the accumulation of a thousand little ones. And most people, sadly, are in the debt consolidation business. And by that, I mean all the little wounds and obligations and insults and losses are rolled into one giant invoice. And you may never send the bill, but you keep a mental ledger, and you know what is owed, and you're waiting for repayment. And that repayment might be you're waiting for an apology, or you're waiting for a confession, or for restitution, or for them to admit that they were wrong and you were right. And living that way is really kind of miserable. Yet God expects something completely different from his people. Those who are followers of Jesus, God expects something far different. In fact, God calls us to cancel relational debt. That's what I'm going to call this thing that we feel others owe us. Relational debt. Now, at the end of our time this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to symbolically cancel that debt. Whatever that might be. This is the final week of our In Stuck series. And we have uh, previously covered fear and worry and anger and guilt and jealousy. 
And now, relational debt. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, to that. <laughs> See, I was going to do revenge, but that did not fit. That was bad. <laughs> relational debt. So I want to take you to a great example from Scripture, Genesis chapter 50. And the story is pretty familiar. It involves Joseph and his 11 brothers. And Joseph was his dad's favorite. Because of that, and because Joseph had these dreams of greatness that were given to him by God, but he decided to share with the family, his brothers hated him. And they hated him so much they wanted to murder him. They ended up selling him into slavery instead, and they told dad his favorite son had been killed by wild animals, and they gave him evidence. 22 years later, Joseph has risen from slavery through some ups and downs, but God has put him in a position to be the second in command in Egypt. And God uses him to save that nation of Egypt from famine. And when his brothers come making that journey, looking for food so that they can survive, Joseph reveals himself and reconciles with his brothers and moves their entire families to Egypt. It seems like a happy ending, but the story isn't over. Years later, their father, Jacob, dies. We come to Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, the horrible things that they did to Joseph were now 40 years in the past. And long ago, Joseph had offered his forgiveness to his brothers. He had sobbed, and he said, don't worry about what you did. So you'd think that the issue was put to rest. But now that their dad was dead, the brothers feared a payback was coming. And this is just another example of the prison you can get trapped in when you wrong other people. The brothers' guilt over what they had done actually shaped their perspective on life itself. Offenders can stay trapped in this prison of guilt and shame even after being forgiven. Forty years later, they are so afraid that instead of going and facing their brother in person, they sent a message. Verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of, your, of the God of your fathers. And, and when their message came to him, Joseph wept. Well, I don't know about you. It sounds a little fishy to me when they say this. You know, think about it. Um, they claim that their dad's last wish was that he forgive them. Like, Dad's dying words are, forgive your brothers. Uh, I, maybe? I don't know. Sounds a little convenient to me. And then on top of that, they play the God card. Do you see that? They say, they identify, slyly identify themselves as God's servants. In effect, they're saying, Dad is dead, but his God is still alive, and we serve him, so forgive us. And when he got the message, Joseph just cried. Now, maybe he cried because he realized that they didn't accept this forgiveness the first time, or maybe he cried because it was so emotional to hear them actually confess their sin, because they didn't do that before. 20 years before, he'd forgiven them even though they didn't admit any wrongdoing. He released them from their blame before they said they were sorry. And this time, they came right out and said, we sinned. And Joseph's response is important, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? So think about this. To hold grudges, to expect repayment for relational debt, 
puts you in the place of God. Uh, are there any relationships where you think, I'll get them back somehow, some way? When, when the Lord says, I will avenge, that's Romans 12, 19. Do you ever feel, well, I can't forgive them when God says, forgive as I've forgiven you? In those ways, we put ourselves in place of God. Now, don't miss Joseph's next sentence that's coming up here. He doesn't say, well, boys will be boys and excuse their past. He doesn't condemn them and say, you ruined my life. No, he recognizes their wickedness and he testifies to the goodness of God. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That word harm, the Hebrew word is ra, and it's a word that means evil, wrong, misery. Joseph doesn't sugarcoat it. He says that they plotted, they planned, they schemed evil. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a lapse in judgment. It wasn't an unintended result. They calculated wrong against him. But Joseph declares their plot wasn't the only one going on, that God also had a plan, and his plan was perfect. He intended, God intended good. The Hebrew word is tov, which means beauty, benefit. So in effect, here, here's the key thought. What you did was wrong, but God is good. That's what he says. What you did was wrong, God's good. God didn't make the best out of a bad situation. He didn't rework things to make them fit. God intended good from their intended evil. And not only did Joseph forgive them, but look what he said to these people who had hurt him so badly. Verse 21, so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. So twice he tells them not to be afraid. And he's gentle, he's reassuring, he promises to, to, to give what's needed for their families. This amazing response should be true of Christ's followers. The relationship may have been tortured, the betrayal horrific, that wound may be years old or an injustice that happened yesterday. But through Christ, we can look back and say, God is good. How's that possible? How do you get to the point where you can forgive people who hurt you so deeply? How's it possible to say, I know you meant to cause me pain and you took something from me, but God intended it for good and you don't owe me. You don't owe me. How do you get to that spot? Where does forgiveness like that come from? Well, the only way you're able to cancel relational debts is by focusing on the promise of God. When we keep record of wrongs, when we consolidate the debts owed by others, we've lost sight of what God has done for us. As Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, the price for all your sin and all the sin done to you is covered by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said his blood is what provides forgiveness. And so when you accept Christ's sacrifice for sin, the record of your wrongs is wiped clean. God has canceled your debt if your trust is in Christ. And if you have not received the forgiveness of God in Christ, then you're not a Christian. I can't say it any more plainly than that. If you haven't received the forgiveness of God in Christ, then you're not a Christian. You're separated from God and you're lost in your sin. And so the most important thing you need to do today is to come to God, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and accept Jesus. 
But for all of you who have already made peace with God through Jesus, you've put your trust in Christ alone, then you can do nothing less than offer that same forgiveness to those who have wronged you. Now, the secular world sees how important forgiveness is. They talk about it all the time. Other religions, philosophies, mental health professionals, talk show hosts deal with the subject of forgiveness. But it's all mostly from a self-help perspective. Uh, They say things like that when you're not forgiving, you are actually hurting yourself. Well, that's true. But for the Christian, there's an entirely different motivation. And there's there's a power available to forgive as God forgave you. So in fact, let me point out that in the parable of the unmerciful servant, Jesus equates forgiveness with canceling a debt. That's Matthew 18. This rain is exciting, isn't it? Thank God for the rain. You just don't want too much all at once in certain places, right? But uh, Jesus uses this very powerful example and it, the, he applies this parable and says in Matthew 18, 35, that you must forgive or else you won't be forgiven. So that's how powerful it is. So if you keep waiting to be paid back for the wrongs done to you, you're going to end up being the one who pays. You'll be the one in prison. But if you cancel the debt, you'll be set free. Now I want to point out to you two Bible words for forgiveness. One of them is here in the story of Joseph and his brothers, when his brothers asked them to forgive, they used the Hebrew word nasaw, nasaw. And so to try to fix what this word means in your mind, here's a picture of me carrying my little brother. All right, that's me. My, my brother's three years younger than me. Um, I'm not sure the exact year right now. I think it's somewhere in 1997. No, no. It's a couple of years ago. But we are camping, and um, I I was coming back from somewhere with my brother and decided to carry him. It was such a rare event, my father took a photo. They're getting along, Mom. Look, see, they're getting along. But that word forgive in in Hebrew, nasah, that's used by Joseph's brothers, means to lift, to bear up, to carry, to endure. So in ancient Israel, offenses, what was done to you, were like burdens. You shouldered them. You struggled along under them. You endured them. And so the brothers were asking Joseph to endure what they did to him. And he did. He did. So that's the picture I want in your mind of that Hebrew word for forgiveness. Now, when you come to the New Testament, the main Greek word translated forgiveness is aphemy. And that's the word Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 18. So here's a picture from that same camping trip that same year. And this is me with my first fish. I know it's hard to see. But it's up there against my white shirt. And my brother is suitably unimpressed with my fish. But that word aphemy means to let go, to give it up, to leave behind, to send away. And I I give you this picture to help you fix in your mind the difference. That that's what I did with that fish. I let it go. I let it get away. I set it free. I sent it back to where it came from. Now it might have gone belly up later. I don't know. But I set it free. 
And what's the difference between the, the, the Hebrew word and the, the New Testament, the Old Testament and the New Testament, where, where one is you, you, are, you are enduring the offense and the other one you are letting it go? What's the difference? Jesus. Jesus. The good news. To know him is to have experienced God's mercy. Because God has forgiven us in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within every believer, uh, we are empowered then to let it go, to forgive as we've been forgiven. However you've been slighted, whoever hurt you, whatever was done to you, let the mercy and love of God overwhelm you. Let it warm your heart and forgive this and let it go. Now that doesn't mean that somebody who abused you, who assaulted you, who damaged you, who robbed you sh should be released from the consequences of their actions. I've heard religious leaders coerce people into not pursuing criminal action against a pastor or an organization when they were sexually abused or defrauded. No, that, that needs to be, there needs to be consequences for criminal action. But, you know, there are a myriad of offenses and sins that you and I experience that are not criminal and that we must let go. Because, see, canceling relational debt is a decision you make because of Jesus. One writer put it this way. Forgiveness is a decision that says, in spite of what you've done to me, no matter how bad you hurt me, you don't owe me anymore. I'm not going to work through the issue of blame. I'm not going to wait till you apologize. I'm not going to wait till you own up to it. I'm making the decision to cancel that debt. Now, some of you have some pretty ugly stories to tell about what others have done to you. You've been wrong many times by multiple people. You might think, John, if you only knew what my father did to me, you'd know forgiveness is impossible. If you knew what my wife did, or my so-called friend did, or my former business partner did, you'd agree, they owe me. But God has put his people in the debt cancellation business because that's what he did for us. The forgiveness we received from him is to be offered to others. We didn't deserve it, and yet God continues to write, paid in full through Jesus. And so we're able to say, that was wrong, but God was good. God is good. So let me suggest four steps to forgiveness that, that need to be followed if we're going to experience forgiveness. First of all, you have to acknowledge your pain. Don't deny the hurt. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't hide. Because you all short-circuit the process of forgiveness. You must acknowledge that pain. Second, you need to admit your ability. Because you say, when I can't forgive, what you're really saying is, I won't forgive. Because you can. God gives you that power in Christ to forgive. You, you don't have the desire to do it, but you do have the choice to do it. Scripture is very clear. Third, adjust your perspective. And that is to adjust your perspective to that other person who wronged you. You, you need to perhaps look at their side, what they've been through, what might have caused them to be the one who hurt you. But most importantly, you need to remember how God forgave you, Ephesians 4.32, to recognize that from God's perspective, he's forgiven you so much that you're able to forgive others. And fourth, you need to act out your decision. You need to release the person who hurt you to forgive whatever grievances you have, Colossians 3.13 says. You need to get to the place where you can say, that was wrong, but God is good. So Pastor Tim Brown sent me an email some while back about what happened to him. I want to share it with you. Tim was having lunch at McDonald's with his family and he said, we were enjoying a pleasant conversation when a man with his wife and children came in and the man was someone who hurt me in the past. We faked pleasantries and exchanged hellos, but I could feel my blood begin to boil at the thought of what he'd done to me. Tim says, this person had wounded me badly. 
And I was surprised about how much I hurt I still felt. My family and I gobbled down our food. And on the way out of the restaurant, I overheard my quote-unquote enemy and his wife arguing because neither had any money to purchase the food they ordered. Their three kids were screaming for their Happy Meals. The couple was embarrassed. And my first thought was, praise God. There is justice in this world. This guy deserves every bit of embarrassment he's feeling, and I'm so glad I got to see this. Thank you, Jesus. But he said, suddenly, God spoke to me through the text I'd read that morning, which was, do not repay anyone evil for evil. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And Tim said, God was saying to me, here's your chance to be set free of your pain and overcome your hurt. And I reached into my wallet, pulled out a 20, gave it to this man who had been my enemy and said, have lunch on me. I thought that was good. See, canceling relational debt is a decision you make because of Jesus. So what is God calling you to do? I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. In a couple of minutes, we're going to sing. And the band is going to come and lead us in that song now. But during that time, we are singing. You have a chance to act out whatever God might be saying to you today. There are pens and slips of paper available on this table here and this table over there on the side of the room. And if you sense the Spirit prompting you, come and write the name or the initials of someone who has hurt you. It might be one name. It might be several names. That person might be dead or they might be long removed from your life with no contact. But write that. And then next to that name or those initials, write what they did. Write what it cost you. Write what you lost. And here's a tip. It can't be the name of an organization or a church. Why? Well, because a whole church, a whole organization can't hurt you. Specific people do. Specific people, even if you don't know their name. Specific people disappoint you. So write that name and what you lost. Maybe your husband left and robbed you of your trust. Maybe your daughter-in-law said horrible things about you. Maybe your parents were uncaring and left you emotionally scarred. Maybe your sister cheated you out of your share of the inheritance. Maybe your employer took advantage of you. Maybe your friend refused to help when you were desperate. Maybe somebody damaged your reputation or gossiped about you or shared a secret that you'd entrusted only to them or disrespected you in some way. Whatever you feel you're owed, write it down. And then you can decide to cancel the debt. You're deciding, this person doesn't owe me anymore. God has forgiven me for so much more than this. I choose to forgive even though they were wrong. Because maybe you've been waiting for repayment. Maybe you were waiting for the offender to do something first. But you must choose to forgive in Jesus' name. By His grace and mercy, you can look at what's written and say, that was wrong but God is good. And as a symbol of your decision, I brought a shredder. And so on that table, each side is a shredder. And you write that down and then you put that through the shredder. Because of Jesus, God has put you in the debt cancellation business. Are your feelings going to change? Maybe. But what matters is not what you feel, but what you decide to do based on truth. In Christ, you have the power to choose not to hold on to the pain done to you. And this morning, whether you write down a name or not, 
This is the time to remember and to give thanks for God's forgiveness in Christ. His love and mercy never ends. So I invite you to stand with me and to sing. And then whenever you're ready, make your way to one of those tables. Take whatever time you need as God speaks to your heart.